Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer joining you from the humble Stoffer abode in the city's south side. Going to have some fun in the next hour of the show. David Staples from the Cult of Hockey coming up, as well as our NHL insider, John Shannon. Oilers Now is brought to you by Digitex, who wish you and yours all the best during these uncertain times. Digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. You can uh, keep texting us. we got a ton of texts to get to. We'll get to them around 145 today on our Ashley Fine Floors text line at 780-496-0063. Ashley Fine Floors providing winning results for 35 years. Uh, that's how you can text us. We are going to head off to our River Creek Resort and Casino hotline. Now, I'm going to, this is a caveat right now, an opportunity for all of you that, uh, thinks Justin Trudeau walks on water and that Canada has been perfect in the handling and and you know what who would expect anybody to be perfect really in the the situation with the COVID-19 pandemic Um, but I think it's fair to say Canada has benefited in certain regards just by virtue of the fact that maybe it's not the source of destination for everybody in the world is some of the U.S. markets that said obviously there's a lot of justified criticism in the handling by the U.S. government of what's gone on with COVID-19 and the pandemic, but these are indeed challenging times. And one guy that's provided an interesting timeline uh, with a piece that he wrote on the Edmonton Journal on Sunday is the Cult of Hockey's David Staples. And we do have to touch on the COVID-19 pandemic. David, thank you for taking time to rejoin us here in Oilers Now. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Bob, although I have to say that that month of March seemed to last about 10,000 days. It's like time is moving very, very slowly for all of us. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, we're, we'll get to some of the lighter hockey stuff in a second, but I, I, I just want to, um, the piece you wrote on sort of the, the timeline of Canada's response to this, uh, because you had some criticism that came with it, and you had a lot of supporters out there via Twitter saying, you know, thank you for providing us this perspective. Maybe give us the, the genesis of how you came up with the idea of incorporating uh, challenges that maybe uh, took place in the House of Commons early. And maybe ultimately, what's your opinion of how Canada's handled this whole situation with the coronavirus pandemic? Sure. Um this, it's kind of started, I've been, I, you know, my job, I cover politics and I write about provincial politics and I've been writing about COVID for about a month now. And um, about a week and a half ago, there was a CBC report out about Taiwan and how Taiwan had done such a great job in handling the pandemic. But the CBC report didn't mention something that was very well known, that ta- Taiwan put in strict border controls right from the start. 
very, very uh, effective uh, measures where anyone coming in from an infected area, you'd go into mandatory quarantine right away. And, you know, the government had your cell phone information, so if you wandered, they, they, they saw you wandering on GPS and you got a massive fine. So they were right on it, and they were able to contain the spread, and the CBC story didn't mention this. I thought, that's weird. Like, you know, and I just thought, what we, I don't want anyone, I, you know, let's not rewrite history here and pretend that border controls weren't effective. Because in Canada, you know, the Trudeau government, one of the mistakes they made, and every government's making mistakes, was they didn't put in effective border controls. So I went back, and I just, you know, my, my piece is, my timeline is simply the parliamentary debates and committee meetings that went on and all the questions that were asked government officials about why aren't you putting in border controls. And, and it wasn't just conservative MPs asking this. It was block liberal, uh, Marcus, Dr. Marcus Polowski, a liberal MP who's a doctor from Thunder Bay. He was asking some of the toughest questions about why they didn't do it. And so the timeline is just a document showing all those debates, the key things that were said in those debates, and how the Liberals responded before ultimately on March 16th and March uh, 18th, after about two months, uh, they completely and utterly backtracked and changed their policy. But the point I want to make, Bob, is that's a really good thing. Like, it's, it's, this, is, this is kind of like this is the war against the virus. And in wars, the one thing we know is that, the, that the, we're going to have snafus. And that, that term was invented in the Second World War. It means the situation normal all fouled up in polite terms. And in wartime, there are constant snafus. And the key for any government is realizing you've made a mistake and quickly adjusting. Now, we didn't get a quick adjustment from the Trudeau government on border controls. They were too busy, you know, playing their weird brand of politics and saying we can't have border controls because it might stigmatize people and blah, blah, blah. And instead of doing their fundamental job of taking public health, taking care of public health, they were playing identity politics, and it, and it cost us. Nonetheless, they've made the right move. Um, you know, they had a snafu. It, it, it kind of got a little bit to FUBAR because of the mass spread we've had in Canada. But every single country, except for a few countries close to China, got this wrong. So it's hard to be too harsh on the government in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and how much do you think the countries close to China and the lack of maybe historical trust in dealing with China played a factor in their success it was absolutely huge i mean the who the world health organization and Ch and canada's um uh, medical people they trusted china like crazy like oh china's saying this doesn't have human to human transmission and they based their policy on that in the first month and you know we can't stigmatize china by bringing in border controls and screening people from you know quarantining people from china this was exactly the wrong thing to do and the countries like uh, Taiwan, South Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, the region of Hong Kong, they don't trust China at all. And all of them were effective in, um, they also know that these viruses come out of China on a regular basis, these new kind of viruses, so you need to, you need to be on guard. And we, uh, you know, the current Trudeau government trusts China a little bit, well, way too much. And we're paying for it a little bit. I think this is one of the lessons, hard lessons learned out of this is, we can't trust China. Surprise, surprise. It's a communist government, and uh, we should have known that, but that's being really hammered home right now. All right. Uh, that said, Canada is in a better position than the United States. Uh, I don't think we should be patting ourselves on the back too hard here, though. Uh, and I know there's a lot of Canadians that despise Donald Trump.
and it's not like he doesn't give you enough fodder on a daily basis to uh, to go at him. Uh, you know, you have entire networks that are opposed to. I don't know if it's a byproduct of how he conducts himself or his identity politics. Uh, that said, was Canada better positioned to succeed here just by virtue of the fact that the initial transmission into our country, those opportunities are significantly lessened than the amount of people who want to go into centers like New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, Seattle. Is it, is it kind of hard to judge the position the Americans were in conversely the position we are in? Yeah, Bob, I haven't seen stats on travel from the from the two countries in terms of like uh, visitors from Wuhan in December and January and and then visitors from Italy but um <laughs> excuse me i do think that um one of the things i heard about sweden which also has a relatively lower spread of the disease you know canada is pretty high right now we don't have anything to brag about but in sweden where it is pretty low um it, again they're saying well this is this is a place where a lot of chinese people from Wuhan area don't really visit in the middle of winter and we're not exactly a tourist destination for any Chinese I don't believe in in the middle of winter um, so just to kind of I'm just guessing here but intuitively I would say we, we get less visitors from China and that probably did help us um, avoid some of the outbreak well Montreal's been hammered and there's a lot yeah. of flights from some of the more challenged countries in the world Italy Iran China going to Montreal, and they're having yep. some real challenges with it in Quebec right now. Let's switch focus. Let's get to And, and people can follow your stuff on this if they've got, if they want to. I know there was a, a piece in the National Post. Is it Selly was the writer? Uh, yeah, Chris Selly, yeah. Yeah, pretty interesting uh, piece sort of on the inconsistency with mass as well moving forward. But we'll move away from the uh, minutia of a very serious topic and have some fun on the hockey side. And on the Cult of Hockey site, you uh, you guys espoused about whether or not Ken Holland should be up for GM of the Year. Give me your take, David. Well, a blogger from Boston, Chris Bevins, for the Stanley Cup of Chatter, was writing about this. And he, he picked Ken Holland. And, and, and honestly, Bob, it kind of threw me for a loop because I hadn't really thought about Ken Holland as a candidate for GM of the Year. And I think some people in Edmonton uh, might argue for him. So I, I thought that was really interesting. I just took a look at it, a harder look, and, you know, who should win. So the way I see this, or I don't know how you see it, but it's kind of, to me, it's a little bit best seen, actually. It's kind of a lifetime achievement award. I think if you're just going on one year, you might get that GM who got super hot that one season, and then his team collapses after that. So I think you need to be careful about that. So I'm looking for, like... The guy I would pick, and I don't have a vote, but the guy, you know, I'm just a fan, but the guy I would pick is is the GM who's who's achieved over time, but also has achieved this year, who, whose team has taken a step up this year. So there's there's three teams, actually, who where their team just improved a lot this year, and the top team for that is who had the biggest kind of percentage increase in, in winning percentage is Philadelphia. Then, uh, then, then Colorado Avs, and then the Oilers. So the Oilers are really good in that regard. They're one of the top three teams in terms of being the, the most improved year to year. But there's three other teams. There's excuse me, two other teams that have been really good teams over the long haul: Boston and St. Louis, who improved actually quite a bit this year as well. And St. Louis won the Cup last year, and um, Vladimir Tarasenko was out most of the year, and yet 
St. Louis still improved this year, Bob. Like they had a a big bump. So if I had a vote, it would come down to Joe Sackett in Colorado, who put together, who had an amazing year in, in, uh, in terms of the team improving and also really picked up a lot of players like Burakovsky and Kadri and um, made some good trades to improve the team. Uh, but I would vote for Armstrong be, just because you win the Stanley Cup last year. This guy's been in, he's been doing a great job for years. And the team also improved this year without Tarasenko. It's interesting on Burakovsky. I don't know how many times Alan May out of Washington would come on the show. Yeah. We would talk. You know it, right? He mentioned yeah. him all the time. And they also got Natushkin pointed in the right direction, too. Yeah. Right? After a real slow start, they didn't give up on him. There's not a lot of pressure in that market in Colorado, and I think and they got a good team. I think that works uh, to their advantage in terms of reclamation projects. I wouldn't even call Burakovsky a re- reclamation project. I just don't ever think he legitimately got a chance to be a consistent top six forward. Uh, you know, game in, game in, out, maybe even year in, year out in Washington. And that's the guy that played with Connor McDavid uh, with the Erie Otters as well. David Staples joining us from the Cult of Hockey. So, David. Dave Tippett spoke yesterday. By the way, we should mention, just in terms of the executive of the year, that is voted on by the other executives. Oh, that is right. The coach of the year is voted on by the broadcasters. So Jack and myself each have a a vote uh, for coaches of the year, uh, for the coach of the year. But the GM of the year is voted on by uh, the GM peers. So we'll keep an eye on that moving forward here. And back in 2016-17, Peter Shirelli, and uh, Pierre out of uh, Ottawa, Pierre Dorian, uh, both were finalists that year. Yes. Uh, 16, 17. Keep that in mind. Uh, Tom yeah. McClellan was also a finalist for Coach of the Year that year as well. One of the things that we talked about with Dave Tippett was the surprises. And nobody, uh, I, I think when, when we were doing the show in the summer, David, there were big questions about the the, the goaltending. That was a given. Uh, there was concerns about how do they improve the penalty killing. But there were a couple players that we weren't factoring in that turned out to help the Edmonton Oilers be one of the top three improved teams during the course of the season to date. And those two players in particular, and we'll start with Ethan Bear, and then we'll get to Kayla, Kyler Yamamoto. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, Bob, I, you know, we've talked about this before. And honest to God, I think if, East, let's say the Oilers had to, look, you know, they were looking to move Milan, Milan Lucic last summer. If they had included Ethan Bear as a sweetener in a deal to move out Milan Lucic, uh, you know, and getting not not that bad a, a guy and back in return, I don't think there would have been a huge outcry in oil country. And I, and I say that because I, I think most of us, had missed, you know, Bears starting in about um, January, February last year, took a huge step up in Bakersfield. And in March, he was really, really playing well. But I think most of us had missed that. We don't, you know, I only tune in now and then to those games on the internet. And yep. and I saw him playing better. But I think if he had been just a sweetener, that very few people would have said, this is the biggest mistake the Oilers have made in, in years. Because that's what it would have been. That's how that's how good Ethan Bear was this year i mean he was in terms of even strength playing time he was just behind darnell nurse uh played the toughest minutes with nurse against uh competition and what uh really struck me bob was uh his passing uh just every time he got the puck so calm with the puck moving it well 
And at the Cult of Hockey, we kind of we we um, do video review of Grade Eight chances, and we we look for who makes the most stretch passes that leads to goals and Grade Eight chances. And, and and for a defenseman, Bear had twice as many at even strength as any other defenseman on the team. His ability to pick out players and and create like an odd man rush with a quick pass out of his own was was far superior to any other Oilers D-man. Oscar Kleffbaum was second in that regard. So, um, yeah, he's just a... What a find. I mean, for years we were hoping to see this kind of player come in, this this puck-moving right-shot D-man, and, and all of a sudden there he was, Ethan Bear. Good for him. It's amazing. So I just think of that game in New Jersey at the start of the year. He made a reverse pivot back behind his goal, beat two guys, went right up middle zone, breakout on a pass... And it led to a terrific four-way passing play finished off by Leon Dreisettle. Speaking of Leon Dreisettle, you know he loves playing with Kyder Yamamoto. Yamamoto, basically a point-per-game player. And the Oilers, a different team, David, since he got recalled. Yeah, they went from a, a team that was scraping, you know, just scraping whether they were going to get into the playoffs into a team that, that uh, actually has an outs- would have an outside chance of winning the Stanley Cup or make, excuse me, making the Stanley Cup finals at least. Um in in a somewhat depleted Western Conference right now, um, because Kyler Yamamoto, Leon Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins formed probably it, it, for the second half of the year the best line in the NHL. And Yamamoto, the, the, we always knew uh, he had talent, but I mean, could he stay healthy? And could he play his his kind of hard game in the NHL? So again, uh, based on our video review of scoring chances, we, we kind of look at what we call tough plays at the net. And these are like goalie screens, tips, jams in the crease, or hard charges at the net with the puck or without the puck. These are tough plays to, plays to make, and usually it's kind of big guys like Cassian or James Neal or Alex Chason who make the most of them. But this year, Bob, it was Kyler Yamamoto. One of the smallest players in the league led the Oilers in these tough plays on net. And it's to the point where, you know, Chason did very, very well on the power play. But if the Oilers, um, for some reason, let's say James Neal wasn't back next year for some reason, they, um, right. if they're looking for another guy, Yamamoto, in terms of your net front guy, not a bad pick. He's, he, doesn't, he won't take the goalie's eyes out of the play. But, man, in terms of like puck retrieval and making those tough plays in the crease, he would be fantastic. Interesting stuff. David, as always, we appreciate your time. We'll hook up next week, okay? Thanks for talking, Bob. Good to talk to you. You bet. That's David Staples from the Cult of Hockey. The Oilers Now Injury Report is brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. These are difficult times, but remember, when accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. We'll be back in a second. It's 124 at Edmonton. Hi, this is Jajar Kara from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chet. It's 1:26 in Edmonton. Brent Ridge Ford in Wetaskiwin, focused on your health and peace of mind. They're proud to be a part of Ford Canada's Built to Lend a Hand program, helping their customers through these difficult times. Committed to social responsibility, safety, and supporting their valued clients through flexible financing, online sales, and support, and even delivery and mobile service. Find out more about how Brent Ridge Ford is built to lend a hand you can call them at 1-877-477-3673 or by visiting brentridge.com all right you can text us at any time on our ashley fine floors 
text line at 780-496-0063. So pleased to listen to Oilers now. I love hockey, which amazes my grandkids. I turned 70 in June, says this texter. We went to the game uh, February 19th against Boston. I missed the games, and uh, I now endure storage wars or border security or that Oak Island thing. Thank you for your program. Stay safe. This is from the Hockey Nana in High Ridge, Alberta. Well, there you have it. Uh, thank you very much, Hockey Nana. Uh Byron from the south side at Edmonton says, Bob, do NHL players still get their full salary if they don't finish the season? Yes. They are not going to. Uh, I think they get. I think they got paid yesterday, and then they have one more paycheck. We'll get some clarity from John Shannon coming up. Uh, basically, it's a half a paycheck, but they are only paid four games in the regular season. Then there's a bonus structure for the playoffs. But, yes, the players are expected to be full pay, uh, paid fully. Now, that said... Because of escrow, we'll, we'll maybe get some more clarity on the final payment because we know there's going to be a bounce back due to the fact that there could be as much as $8 billion in revenue not available in hockey-related revenue this year as opposed to last year. Off to a global news weather traffic update. More on the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic with Eileen Bell back with John Shannon. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.